Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Stay standing as we read God's Word together from Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness. Is it on? Okay. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is one of the Mount Everests of your word. And I want to pray and I want to ask that you would be with us this morning. Help our hearts to receive it. Help us to stand amazed by what we see here. And help me to communicate this text Clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Well, <laughs> this is a mountainous text that we're in today. And I just want to admit to each of you from the start that I don't have the rhetorical ability or the interpretive skill to draw out everything that's in 21 through 26 in one setting this morning. And that's not even my aim, okay? My goal today is to present the central truth of this passage, which is the central truth of this book, which is the gospel. I want us to leave today with a refreshed or perhaps clearer understanding of the gospel, okay? Make no mistake, there are many gospel-deluding ideas in our time today. Gospel deal, I mean, Paul deals with them in his letters. Um, the church has been dealing with them across its history, and we deal with them today. I want to talk about the gospel today for two reasons, okay? Reason number one. The gospel is like the sun in the solar system of Christianity. It holds everything in orbit, in the life of the Christian, okay? Paul, in his letter to the uh, first letter to the church in Corinth, he wrote that he wanted to remind them of the gospel. And then he refers to the gospel as of first importance. We do not grow out of the gospel in the Christian life. We grow into the gospel. 
This is why we spend so much time seeking it out and clarifying it and discussing it, meditating on it, finding different ways to articulate it. We encourage one another with the gospel. We apply it to our own personal lives. We will never not need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reason number two. This world needs the gospel. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners like you and me. And ultimately, this is the beginning and the end of the matter. No amount of money or power or legislation or charity work or comfort or love on its own merit will be able to help you, save me, save anyone else in this world. All of us will die one day, and we're going to meet God. And at that moment, all that's going to matter is the answer to this question, are you your God or is God your God? Our passage today is of vital importance, not only to the book of Romans. I don't know if y'all have read Romans, but Paul spills a ton of ink towards this passage and then a ton of ink away from this passage. I mean, this is kind of central to a lot of what he's talking about in the book of Romans, but it's not only important to Romans, it's important to the whole of Christianity. Here we see the gospel in all of its clarity and potency and glory. In church, we will gain no clearer understanding of the gospel, of Jesus' accomplished work on the cross, than from his word. And that's where we're going to go this morning, to seek this understanding. So, up to this point in Romans, up to 21, 321 in Romans, things are looking pretty bleak for the whole of humanity. And I'm aware of the fact that not everyone in this room has been steeping in Romans for the last few weeks, so I just want to take a little bit of time to recap, like catch us up to 21. Paul starts in 118, chapter 1, verse 18, saying that the wrath of God is revealed against men who by, uh, by their unrighteousness suppress the truth of God. And then he proceeds to argue for two and a half chapters that we are all hopelessly in a bad way before God. I mean, go with me, take a look at uh, verse 10 of chapter 3. Paul, in verse 10 of chapter 3, is quoting several verses from the Old Testament to show that all of us are guilty before God. Imagine with me taking this to a secular crowd or going to the university corner this weekend and saying this to them. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That feels harsh, doesn't it? No one hears that and thinks, man, the text has me pegged here. That's talking about me. No one says that. This sounds to our ears over the top, fanatic, fundamentalist, maybe even hateful. I know it does to this world. I've heard people complain about it. So what do we do when we come to a passage like this? See, I believe that if we think that this text is harsh, it's because we don't understand the weight of our sin. 
We've, I don't, and I don't think we can really come to 21 through 26 and understand it with all of its glory and all of its proper weight unless we understand what Paul's getting at in this first section of Romans. So we must start with adjusting how we think about our understanding of righteousness. See, when we talk about righteousness, we usually talk in sociological, like, cultural terms, okay? You know, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, or I'm not as good as Mr. Firefighter or Miss Surgeon. I'm no Mother Teresa. You know, we all do this sort of thing. I have a pride issue, but at least I've never killed anybody. You know, I cut that guy off, but I didn't kill him. This is, like, we all talk this way. And see, what's happening here is that we're putting ourselves in our own scale of righteousness. We're putting ourselves in our own balance. And to an extent, listen, don't mishear me, to an extent we may be right. I mean, there is a difference in moral weight between killing someone and stealing a candy bar. Like, we all know this. But the moral scale, this game that we play, is not the chief issue here when we come to the Bible and our sin. Come with me to Romans 121, just a few pages back. There in Romans 121, I think we see the chief issue. It says, For although all of mankind knew God, they did not honor him or as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile, and their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Some of your translations will translate that as idols, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Look here. Simply put, all of us are aware of God. And in our sin, okay, all of us have made this exchange. We exchange worship and love for the creator of the universe for worship and love of anything else we can. This is the heart of sin. This is the chief issue. This is the heart of our unrighteousness, the heart of our great offense to God, and the result is our condemnation before God. See, according to the Bible, sin is not merely failure to follow a list of rules. Sin is first and foremost idolatry. This is the heart of sin. Sin is de-godding God himself and putting someone or something in his place. Relationships, careers, money, sex, power, knowledge. We are all guilty of making something that is not God our God. And this is offensive to God. I mean, if I were to go to my dad... And I told him, Dad, give me my inheritance. I want what you're going, what I, I want what I'm going to get when you die. Right now. Because that's all I really care about. And I took my money and I turned on my heel and I never spoke to him again. I got what all I wanted. All that's good to me. Would my dad be right in his offense, in his anger? Would I deserve his anger? See, and in our sin, this is where we stand with God. In our sin. We have no righteousness of our own. We have wronged God by our sin and stand convicted and guilty before his righteous anger. 
Who's ready for the good news? Then we come to two of the sweetest words in the Bible in verse 21, chapter 3 in our passage today, revealing the greatest transition of the Bible, but now. Now we get to transition from hopelessness and condemnation into hope. Thank God for the butts of the Bible, right? Like, give us the good news. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins and it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I mean, what a passage, right? Paul really knew what he was doing when he wrote this. Listen, there's so much jammed into this text, and I wish that we could talk about all of it. But today, I just want to highlight three things, okay? Three things. Number one, the righteousness of God required by God comes by faith, not earning, not earning. This is what has been revealed to us. We now may attain the righteousness of God that he requires through faith. In Jesus Christ. You cannot get right by God by work or by merit. Thomas shared a story of Mike and himself talking with a gentleman uh, while walking these neighborhoods out here, right? A few weeks back, he shared this story. During uh, their conversation, the man stated he was a believer and a faithful member of their church and was certain he knew where he was going. And I don't remember if it was Thomas or Mike, but one of y'all asked him a, an honest loving question. How do you know? How do you know where you're going? (laughs) And he said, because I will have tried my best, right? Church, that's not the right answer. Listen, don't mishear me. It's not my aim to put down some stranger that I've never met. I don't know the man's heart. For all I know, the gentleman could have misspoken I mean, some people bothering them in the middle of the day, just trying to get them off their porch. People say things they don't mean all the time. Here's what I do aim to say, okay? Here's what we need to hear. If you believe in your heart that you are right with God because of your positive attitude or your political stances or your hard work, or your hours volunteering, or your affiliation with good-natured people, or your consistent church attendance, or any other reason that has to do with you, or your work, or your merits, you're believing a lie. You're believing a lie because the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law and is attained by faith in Jesus Christ. No other way. The only way that we are made right with God is by trusting in his son, Jesus. That's it. The righteousness of God is not an earned righteousness. It is a received righteousness. It's a gift. Number two, 
We are equal in our need before God and in our access to God. Okay? Verse 23. Go there with me, please. I'm going to go a few words before 23. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I grew up with a saying, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I have a feeling if you grew up in this part of the country, in church, you probably heard that. Here's what I think mom and dad meant by that, okay? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. The wisdom abounded in our home. The gospel is the need of all people across all time, across all space. No matter who we are, when we were born, what our status is in society, all of us are equal in our need for justification and redemption, and all of us are equal in our access to the justification and redemption that we need by God's grace through his son, Jesus Christ. This is an awesome truth. You know, I've heard this sentiment before where someone says, if I ever darkened the door of a church, I'd be struck by lightning. You know, I'd burn up. You know, with this text in mind, we can look that person in the eye and say with the utmost integrity, listen, if that were true, I'd be struck by lightning too. And God offered me grace. It's the same grace that's offered to everyone. It's not trite. It's not churchy. It's the truth of God. If you know someone or if you are so bogged down with all of the bad that you or someone you know has ever done in their lives that they can't imagine being accepted anywhere, especially not at God's table, (laughs) not with God's people, this is their verse. This is your verse. Around here, all of us have fallen short, and we've all received grace. Of course, there's the flip side to that coin, and I feel like, sadly, this pertains more to church folk. There's no room among God's people for looking down our noses at each other either, or at outsiders. We've all received grace beyond measure, and if any of us finds ourselves in a place where we are elevating ourselves above each other instead of lowering ourselves in humility, then this verse is a good reminder for us as well. We are all justified by God's grace through the redemption found in Jesus Christ. Justified means to be made righteous. Redemption is freedom from bondage. The moment you place your faith in Christ, you are declared legally righteous before God and you are freed from sin's grip. The only thing we bring to this deal is our sin. Nathan said that a few weeks ago, and I believe it. I think that there is some help for us, real quick, in understanding this great act of grace towards us in Colossians 2, 13 through 14. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it out loud here. And you who were dead in your trespasses, you meaning believers, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We bring nothing to the cross but our debt of sin. And for all who trust in Jesus, there's no longer any debt owed to God. There's nothing more to be paid. In Christ, you stand totally free. Point number three. Jesus paid the penalty, and God showed himself just. Let's go to verse 25 and 26. God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood. To be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins, and it was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Guys, God is perfectly just. And, and he justifies the ungodly. I mean, it's not one or the other in this text, it's both. Both are true here. We've had an awful lot of talk about how bad our sin is and how we've affronted God himself by our sins, but now we're told that he has passed over former sins, that he has justified the guilty because of their faith in Jesus. Not only this, but God has actually demonstrated himself to be just, to be righteous in this act of passing over former sins and justifying the guilt in his son, the guilty in his son, Jesus. So a just judge has acquitted the guilty. And we must ask this question, how can this be? I mean, imagine this in our human court systems, right? Imagine a person committing murder and they stand in a courtroom before the judge as guilty, and then the sentence is laid down as justice, that's what we want. Now imagine if the murderer were to have just apologized, and on the basis of their apology, they were set free. We'd cry for that judge to be thrown out. That's not justice. Imagine if the person that was murdered was someone you knew. That's not justice. So how are we to understand this text? Because that's what we're hearing about God himself. The key to understand this text is this word propitiation. Propitiation simply means substitute sacrifice. If that feels oversimplistic, it's because it is. I mean, this word propitiation is so rich with meaning, but simply substitute sacrifice. Some of our translations will say sacrifice of atonement or simply sacrifice for sin in the NLT. God put Jesus on the cross to demonstrate his righteous character by pouring out his wrath against our sin on his son, Jesus. That's what's happened. I think we should go to a couple of verses for help here. Uh, Can someone turn to 1 Peter 2.24 and read that out loud for us? 1 Peter 2.24. Read it out. Okay, whose wounds? Who's healed? Okay. Second Corinthians five twenty one. Someone go there real quick. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Someone read that one out loud. 
Jesus takes our sin. We take his righteousness. Romans 8 says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. Whose flesh? Whose flesh was condemned on the cross? Whose sin was it? This is the great exchange. Because of this exchange, then we can go to Romans 8.1 and we can say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The debt has been paid. The penalty was paid. And here's what I want us to take away from this little exercise, okay? Look here. This is the point. Our sin is always costly. Always. Yes, the grace that we need is free to us, but it came at a great cost to God's son, Jesus. You know, a pastor I listen to often says it this way. Speaking of the cross, he said, the wisdom of God has made a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. Let me say that again. The wisdom of God has made a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. Jesus taking the penalty is the only way for God to uphold the worth of his glory and save the guilty simultaneously. The price had to have been paid. This is what happens when we place our faith in Christ. Jesus in our place. We sing a song around here, an awful lot, and it goes like this. I want to end with these lyrics. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath deserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Isn't that beautiful? This is the gospel. Jesus in our place. So Christian, remember the cost of the grace that you have received. And if you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus, this is your invitation. And by the way, this invitation stands as long as you have breath in your lungs. Trust in Jesus today and sing with his people, there is no condemnation for me. Now all I know is grace. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, thank you for the cross and the empty tomb and for showing us your justice. And I pray that this message would be received as a plumb line for us Christians and how we ought to posture ourselves in living our lives. And I pray that you would soften the broken and dead heart by it. In Jesus' name, amen.